Alright you guys, welcome back to Little Man Big Conversations. I'm of course the Little Man, aka the Flashman, aka James, welcoming you back for part three, the finale of Wayne Maniac Maddie. Without further ado, let's get into it. Are you still now guarding the WWE guys, even though that you're not involved in wrestling at this point? Yes, absolutely. It hasn't stopped. I, I travel all over the world with them still. Where was the last place I was with them? Oh, I was in the Philippines with Seamus. Right. And that was kind of funny because obviously now, as you can see, but the people won't be able to see on the podcast, but I have a very big black beard. Yep. I have black hair. <coughs> I actually get referred to quite a lot as, do you know you look like Dave Batista? Cool. All the time I get it. It's ridiculous whether they're you know, pissed idiots in a nightclub or somebody walking down the street for some reason. I mean, yeah, big guy, tattoos, black hair, black beard. I kind of get it, but I'm not Filipino, you know. <laughs> I don't have an American accent, but, you know, whatever. Um, but Seamus knew that. So the whole time we were in the Philippines, Seamus kept calling me Big Dave. He would introduce me to everyone as this is Big Dave. The people that worked at the hotel thought I was bloody Batista. <laughs> As we'd walk out, of course, me and Seamus together, they're like, oh, Mr. Seamus, how are you? And they go, oh, Mr. Batista. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. And Seamus didn't help. He's putting it on his Instagram. He's posting this. He's tagging Batista in on it at the same time. <laughs> you know, saying, oh, I just trained with you, Big Dave. Jesus, I'm, I'm going to get a nasty message from Dave Batista in a minute. Going, Will you stop impersonating me? <laughs> so, yeah. he. Uh, but, that, yeah, that was the last time I travelled, I think, with WWE uh, no, they came to Australia after that. So, yeah, I'd gone to the Philippines, come back, they did the Australian tour, and then that was the last time that uh, I was with them up until this point of the virus. Yeah. I, I was saying uh, just before we started recording that the last time uh, that I saw you at a convention was you were doing security work and they had brought in uh, Emma. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah, and... Uh, I remember, you know, there was a lot of people there, obviously with the, you know, A4s and whatever uh, merchandise to have signed, naturally. And uh, I, remember, <laughs> I remember the looks that I got when I was like, oh, you know, people were like, oh, you know, are you reacting to Emma? And I went, nah. And they went, what are you doing? I'm like, there's Wayne. <laughs> and I remember like flagging you down and obviously you were doing your work and I was like, hey, man. And then you sort of just went, yeah, smiled then back to being sort of a stone gargoyle and I'm like oh cool that's all yep see you later um yeah that was a cool little moment man um but hey do you have any wrestling based security stories that you can share uh well do I have any stories hell yes I do, do I have any <laughs> I can share let me see um I, I I can reveal one which is burnt into my brain and I wish it wasn't <laughs> you'll understand why in a minute so I think we were in Perth, might have been Perth. And it's early morning, we have to get down to the buses. We got to get on the buses to go to the airport because we're flying out somewhere. So <clears throat> me and the American bodyguard that works direct for WWE are there and he's ticking off names on the, the sheet as they're coming down and they go over. The, the two buses are separated, heel and babyface, so you can keep kayfabe. So they're like that and we're going through and he comes up to me and he, his name's John and John says to me, he goes, Wayne, he goes, have you seen Flair? Yeah. <laughs> I said, no. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So he goes inside and he gets reception to call his room. Nothing. They call his room again. Nothing. And we're talking about Rick here, not Charlotte. Um, he's not responding. He's not on the bus. We double check the bus again. He goes, for Christ's sake, will you go upstairs and bang on his door? I said, yeah, all right. Made my way up and walking past. Roman and that, that are looking very hazy from the night before as well. I'm like, where are you going? The bus is this way. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go get Flair. And they start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and the door shuts and Seth is just looking at me like this. I'm thinking, what are you doing? So I've gone upstairs, found Rick's room. Bang, 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 bang. Banged on the door, nothing. Bang, 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 bang. Next to me, he's like, yeah. I said, Rick. I says, Wayne. I said, we got to go. The bus is downstairs. He's one, one minute. And if a minute, the door opens up. There's Rick standing there, butt naked, <laughs> looking at me, going, Hey, man. I said, Rick, we're going to go. All right. Shuts the door, bang in my face. I'm like, 
oh, I can't get that out of my brain. <laughs> that is not something I want to have burnt into my brain. But, you know, it is what it is now, and it's still nightmares to this day. Lo and behold, five, ten minutes later, he comes down dressed on the bus, and off we go. Yep. And he's, you all right, kid? And I just sat there and went, mm. Yep. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, something I cannot forget. Wish I could. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, naked Ric Flair aside, um, so the, the security work continues, and you're you're still working actively to this day with WWE as as a, a bodyguard. The side projects that you were doing at that point, we touched on a little bit earlier. You had spent ten years in in and out. Um, in getting heavily involved in acting and things like that. Mm. I remember seeing an image of, uh, and this is before I'd like met, met you, but I remember seeing an image and it was, it was dark and it was black and there was fire and there was blood. And, uh, then there was you standing there with these gigantic horns coming out of your head. Mm. And, my first thought was, well, who pissed him off? <laughs> then my second thought was, this looks wild. Was this, um, man, I've, I've set it up here. Uh, please fill in the gaps. What was this photo? That was uh, an on-set photo from an independent movie that I did. The movie was called Jesus Walks. And <laughs> basically, I was Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I had... Um, this was done, I think, in 2014. It was done on New Year's Eve. It was up in Queensland. It was 42 degrees. Oh, great. Uh, and there I am sitting under this marquee in this chair with the special effects makeup people working on me. And they, they worked on me for five and a half hours before I got in front of the camera. Wow. I had prosthetic forehead. I had prosthetic cheeks. Uh, I had obviously clearly these big prosthetic horns. Mm. Um, and when they put the prosthesis on you, they stuff it with foam and all that sort of stuff to give it body, but also too to help absorb the sweat, especially on a 42 degree day. Mm. Um, so obviously shirtless and all that, and there's blood and there's all that. I'm completely red, red, red as you know, as Satan is, uh, with all this shit dribbling all over my face <laughs> to make it look demonic. Um, and then I was taken into where we were filming the, the shot and it was inside this warehouse and it felt like it was 82 degrees by the time we got in there. Jeez. We've got fire, we've got fire breathers, we've got all this stuff going left, right and centre. And there I am having to do a fight scene with Jesus. <laughs> and I end up choke slamming Jesus through a table, um, scaring literally the absolute living piss out of these girls that were playing angels. Their, their reaction was not acting whatsoever. They just crapped themselves. They told me after we, when we stopped shooting, they said, Jesus Christ, don't ever do that again. And I said, what? She goes, we, that would, we were just shit scared. I thought, oh, I thought that was amazing acting. They go, we weren't acting. That was horrible. Well, done my job right, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that was a big... Big day, big shoot, and like I said, that was on New Year's Eve. I remember finally at the final cut when they said, that's a wrap. I've looked at the director and I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, we're done, man. First thing I did is grab both of the horns on the top of my head and just ripped them off so I could get some air to come inside to my head because I was just dying. Yeah. That, how many uh, How many days, uh, do you remember roughly how many days you had to get all makeuped up and do that? Thank God it was one. Oof, oh man uh yeah lucky because yeah. uh yeah that's uh that's a heavy process and i'm sure it would have been a very early start to come in and yeah, yeah. all day all day with wearing those prosthetics man and, and what what could very well have been 82 degrees yeah i think we started at something like four o'clock in the morning so and hence why they had that five and a half hour leeway to be able to get all that makeup and prosthetics on me prior to, to shooting so yeah is this shortly thereafter is this what leads to the the youtube series the about that about you yeah look that was i mean that was 2014 the youtube series was done this year last year in between uh no it was it was done last year yeah that's right it was that shot last year so and i mean in between that time with playing satan in that film i'd done six or seven other films, you know. I right. did in the movie Broken Hill where I played a, a prisoner inmate. Um, 
I was in uh, The Boys Are Back with Clive Owens. Um, what else was there? I was in the newest Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I was one of the pirates in that. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've been in. There's been a few things that I've been in. I've been on the Guinness World Records TV show. Uh, right. Multiple TV ads, all sorts of stuff like that. But this is, yeah, later on is where, and I've spoken about Ralph already being the, the director and writer of Hunter. He's the one that come up with the concept of maniac, protector and enforcer. And he said, I want to do like a dog the bounty hunter type show where we follow you around, we see the way that you work, we see what you do, we see your 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 personal side as well, apart from just the, you know, the the big character basically at work and what you do there. So um, it was fun. We've done two episodes. He, he even followed me to the Gold Coast uh, when I was looking after the UK reality TV star. Plus I had John Travolta at that time. It was sort of a crossover between the two. I went from John to this guy. Um, so he was able to capture a whole heap of stuff from that. And he came down to Adelaide, got some stuff with what we do at nighttime with our nightclubs and all that sort of stuff. So it was really fun. And I think he's got another four or five episodes that he wants to shoot um, and whether or not then he wants to pitch it to a, uh, a you know, a TV channel or we leave it as a web, web series and see if a TV channel wants to pick it up and, mm. uh, and continue on. So being that you are a guy that's, you know, been in front of entertainments and, and loud and large crowds, either as a bodyguard or doing security in and around the clubs, um, and being no stranger to the camera in terms of doing film and TV and things like that, was that weird then? Because there is that sort of, uh, there is a kind of shift where, you know, you, you, you kind of have that switch, you know, when you're in character as the maniac or you, you're doing things, um, the, the director of a TV or a movie says, all right, man, you know, come in and play Satan, come in and play this prisoner. Did it feel a little bit strange now to be filmed and it's just you doing your everyday kind of vibe? Was it like, oh, because you must have been so accustomed to being like, all right, I've got to come in here and I've got to kick this door down and fight Jesus or whatever it was. But now it's like, yeah, man, if you just want to live your life and I'll just film you, it's, that must have felt a bit bizarre. It, did it yeah. feel did it feel a bit strange to have your life, you know, seemingly well, I mean, really was recorded at that during those times. Yeah, it is really different. It's it's not daunting because I'm used to having the camera in my face, but yeah. when you're like you're at work, like let's say on a Saturday night, I'd go into the city and I'd be monitoring over my nightclubs that I have and making sure the teams are working okay. I'd go inside the club, have a look, make sure everything's operating right. You know, I'm in my full gear as well. Um, but there's this guy either following you or in front of you with a camera and people are looking on what's going on here. So it is a little different to be able to document your, your day-to-day -day mm. movements uh, with somebody with a camera in your face and, you know, when they say, ah, oh, just do whatever you want to do, be yourself. You know? mm. yeah. <laughs> How do I do that? I mean, there's a way to do it, but you've got to get used to it. That's the thing. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was different. Hey man, was there was there any any times during the times you were being recorded, um, you know, at work? <laughs> let's say, uh, let's let's pitch a situation here. If someone was not behaving themselves, did you ever turn back to your director who was filming you and said, "Don't record this"? <laughs> <laughs> now, the funny thing was, is when Ralph was there recording at that time, we really didn't have an issue happen, which was the saddest part about it, because he really wanted to capture something. And, and nothing eventuated. So it was ironic that he was there. He got to see a lot of stuff that we were doing and capture it and that, but there was not the big fight. There was not the big, you know, brawl in the club or anything like that or anything we had to deal with. So he was kind of like, oh, man. And I said, well, we must be doing our job right if it's not happening, isn't it? He goes, yeah, you're probably right. So Should have been the instigator. Should have shoved someone and had him record it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you have the documentary team following you around now, but – is there another opportunity you? For, is there another opportunity for you now that I guess you know you're not going to be playing Satan Volume Two? But is there another film role that comes in that has you sort of being that forefront character, if you will? Yeah, look, it, it was kind of funny. I had um, my agent ring me, and she said, "I want to send you something to look at, but you need to look at it straight away." So okay, fine. So they sent me this script and explain what the, the role is. I don't know who's in the movie or anything like that or the size of the character, the piece or anything. She goes, but you will be a cast member. You're not an extra, you are a cast member in this film. Wow. She goes, are you available from this date to this date? Because mm. first, the main things are, are you available? 
I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. She goes, great. In, in about half hour's time, I have a contract sent to me immediately, straight away. And I rang her back and I said, Wendy, I said, I haven't, I haven't read for anyone. I haven't seen anyone. She's don't worry, they've seen a photo of you. They want you, sign, sign the contract. Whoa. Okay, and I've looked and I've seen there's all the money and the, the figures and all that and <clears throat> signed the contract, send it back. I said, great, all right, there you go. I said, when does it start? She goes, in two days. <laughs> I went, okay. Um, she goes, we'll send you the script through and you'll see everything and you've got to go into wardrobe tomorrow and be fitted out. Okay. So I walked in at South Australian Film Corporation there into wardrobe and I'm standing there and I look around and then all of a sudden uh, Jack Thompson walks past me, famous Australian actor. Yeah. Morning, say hello. Then Roy Billing walks in from underbelly. How you doing? How you doing? Yeah. And then this man of about six foot six walks through the door and walking stick, uh, hat on, and he looks up and he says to me, he goes, Jesus, good morning. I said, hello. And I looked at him, it was James Cromwell. The oh, American. wow. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, he's the Green Mile, he's the LA Confidential, he was the warden in The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler. Mm. He's been everything, you know. And Revenge of the Nerds, I only watched that the other night and he is the father of one of the nerds. <laughs> And I was skewing because if I'd realised that he was in that role, I would have said to him something about that film because I used to love that film when I was a kid. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we go through wardrobes done and everything and then we start shooting, you know, two days later. And I think I was on set for four weeks shooting and uh, I played the character. <laughs> in, in the script, my character's name is Big Bastard. But <laughs> in the... Um, uh, in the film itself, I think my name was John Huntley. I was one of the big nasty male nurses that basically stopped these old fellas from escaping from the nursing home because they're all ex-army guys mm. and all want to get the hell out of the nursing home and go do do other things. So it's a, <laughs> it's a romantic kind of comedy. It's very funny. In fact, I, I was in stitches half the time on set, especially with James. James was amazing. Yeah. So um, is that... So that's all shot and done. Um, so what happened? It was it was about it was about ready to come out, and then was it just the pandemic? Yeah, April twenty third. It was supposed to be released in cinemas, and then they shut all the cinemas down. Great. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm hoping fingers. Actually, I think it did get a a, a preview screening at the Palace Nova Theatre in Rundle Street one night, but that was it. But then the the normal cinema release date was April twenty third. So I'm hoping that with the cinemas opening up, I believe next week, um, we might start to see it roll through, but it just depends on how far back it's been pushed back now. I mean, it's completely produced and ready to release. It's just mm -hmm. a matter of when, so. And you guys don't get updated? I mean, I'm assuming your agent will go, hey, yeah, it's finally coming out or something. Yeah, we, we could, or you go onto the IMDB site, which is the movie site where all actors and everyone's listed on, on there and, that, and you can see the release dates of stuff. So try to keep an eye on that where I can. Yeah, because I think I remember seeing the first time I remember seeing James Cromwell. Uh, I was only a very little kid, and it was definitely in a movie. I think it was. Yeah, it was. It was Babe, and yeah, played the, the, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people out there, <clears throat> my era, coming up and watching those movies. Yeah, he that'll do, pig. That that line forever etched in memory. Yeah, well, that direct the director of Babe was the director of Never Too Late as well. Far out, man. <laughs> Yeah. That must have been surreal. And now you're going to be professional too. It's like doing the sh shadow security work and you can't just sit there going, oh, hey, man. <laughs> wow. That's nuts, man. So that must have been such a trip, man. I'm really looking forward to it. I know you can't reveal too much about it, but hey, man, the uh, master of, much like the wrestling, master of selling, you sold me on it. Um, I'll make sure to... Uh, I, I know I know. I won't, I won't put any reviews up, but I'll make sure to sh send you a photo. Yeah. <laughs> Might be on social media, but I'll make sure to shoot you a photo when I'm there, man, and have my ticket stub ready to go. Beautiful. Um, but yeah, I, man, I, I hope really for for your sake and for everyone out there that's listening to this can go and see it because yeah, I think of all the things to close. Um, obviously, you know, us uh, athletes, gyms, and and things like that. Them them closing, and obviously the live venues and clubs and taverns. That's all was such a hit, but. You know, just doing the family movies, you know, on, the, on during the week or on the weekends, things like that. To have the cinemas close, 
um, and not have the you know the coming soon attraction posters up there. That that's a bit weird to see on on the city streets these days. Mm-hmm. Was South Australia is doing pretty well, I think, comparatively to the rest of the, uh, if not Australia, but to the world. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Queensland's sort of on the same track, if not at level. When that whole situation hit, and obviously the, the email come through, hey, look, it's going to be delayed. And obviously, okay, yeah, we get it. Um, was that then weird to sort of go around your local suburb of South Australia and just find that everything was quite literally closed? Yeah, it was. I mean, my uh, gym, I go to Anytime Fitness at Brighton, and they, they had to shut. And, you know, I would be in that gym every day. Yeah. It's, th- it's three doors down from my office. I'd be there every day. I got to know the manager really well. Um, it was really hard to deal with because, obviously, I'd, I used to have a massive gym in my house. Now I don't have it. I, that's why I go there. And not to be able to do anything, it was really tough. So, um it, you know, we worked around it and we, we did a few things with my gym and so on that was enabling me to be able to train a little bit, certainly not going on site because you're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was really strange. I mean, I remember going to the shopping mall um, and in the shopping mall there's escalators that lead up to the big cinemas that are there and I just looked up, it was all black and there was temporary fencing across the front of the cinemas like you would see at a construction site. Mm. Like that just looks so weird, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Uh, <laughs> no, would be even me more bizarre and just have that little fire and that rage come through is if you go up there, the fencing's up at the cinema, and right there on the coming attraction is the damn poster for your movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> just be like, uh, damn it. Viewing. I mean, the only thing that was good that happened was the uh, the movie trailer was released. So it's online. It's on my social media somewhere. Uh, you can find it on YouTube or whatnot. So at least we had the trailer released so people can see a bit about it and see, like I'm in the trailer quite a bit, um, and you can see how funny it is. So, yeah, that was the only good thing to come out of it because otherwise I'd have been telling people what I've been doing and then they go, well, where's something we can see? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's that classic line. Yeah, I'm in this project, man. Oh, when is it? Oh, it's coming, coming soon, coming soon. Yeah, <laughs> would have been horrible. All right, so now we're going to get to the meat of the conversation here. We've heard about your time as a security guard, as a bodybuilder, as a professional wrestler, and touching in a little bit of acting. Speaking of acting, I want to know about this little side project, if you will. Oh, I don't know, called Young Rock? Ever, is, am I on the right track here? Are we, uh, we talking about the right thing? Uh, yeah, I think I've heard of, heard of it before, yeah. <laughs> now, for those of you out there listening and going, what the hell is a young rock? Is this some sort of archaeology program? No. It is about the stories of a young version of The Rock, the famous wrestler, a.k.a. Dwayne Johnson. You may have seen him in some movies, but yes, if you've seen him in movies, he used to be a professional wrestler. Young Rock is set during the time of The Rock growing up as a kid, surrounded by wrestling. His father was a wrestler, his grandfather was a wrestler. And in doing so, he had a lot of wrestling stories to tell. He used to hang out with Andre the Giant and all sorts of cavalcades with Macho Man. But what I want to bring up with you, Wayne, is the character that you got to play. You had the distinct honor. And I guess to some degree, if the show continues to go down that road, down that path of uh, seasons upon seasons, you got to play the absolute iconic and bona fide WWE Hall of Fame legend, Sergeant Slaughter. Now, that's something that I think if you go to apply for any job in the future, if that's on the resume, it's like, just just come in. Would you like something? <laughs> like, that's an instant free pass. But I've got to ask the question. That's not an everyday thing. And <laughs> for the people that have seen the cover episode image, you and I doing this podcast episode together, the default image of the maniac does not in any way, shape, or form resemble that of Sergeant Sword. So i got to ask, how did this all come about? Uh, yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> my normal look compared to Sergeant's look is like oil and water. So it was, it was ironic that I ended up playing him. But what had happened was there was a casting agent in Sydney looking to cast pro wrestlers. Didn't say anything else apart from that. 
And uh, I found it, said to my agent, can you give me an audition? I don't know what this is, but it has to be me. She goes, okay. So she contacted them and she come back and she said to me, all right, I have an audition for you. It's great. And she sent it over and she goes, do you know I rested by the name of Brutus Beefcake? I said, yeah. She's all right, you're gonna audition for him. And I, hmm, okay. I went, well, height, yeah, okay, tick. Body size and shape, yeah, tick. Uh, tattoos, cross. Uh, mullet, cross. Clean shaven, cross. I'm going down, there's more crosses in there, are ticks. Um, anyway, I thought, all right, let's, let's give it a shot. So only a one-liner deal, uh, but whenever I do an audition, I go all out to try and be that character when they can see the self-tape. Instead of just standing there in a T-shirt and a pair of shorts or whatnot, I went out and got like fingerless gloves that went up to my elbows that were bright pink. Or I think they were actually sleeves or something off actually my wife's jumper that we cut off. It was something like that. Wow. Um, we got um, a black proper dinner vest, and I put that on with no shirt, uh, a bow tie, uh, and then I think I got the big set of sick of tears out of the garage that we had that Beefcake used to have. Uh, so I've gone and delivered the one-liner to the camera, you know, done the whole beefcake thing because they said, look, have a bit of fun with it, add a little bit if you want. It's not not too serious. I'm all right. So I've done that. We sent it in uh, and I didn't hear anything for a bit. So I, I rang Anne again. I said to Anne, I said, Anne, come on. I said, there's going to be something else. And in, in between that time frame, I'd found out what the project was. And, of course, finding out it's Young Rock and it's based on the – the life growing up of Dwayne Johnson and so on, I'm like, shit, I need to be in this. Um, so I said to her, I need something. Get, get, give me another audition or find out what's happening with Beefcake for me. So she said, all right, leave it with me. She gets annoyed with me sometimes because I pester her so much, but, you know, <laughs> you have to. So she's come back with me and she goes, look, we've got another audition for you. I said, another one? She goes, yeah. She went, all right. So what's this one? She goes, oh. God, she goes, have you ever heard of a, a King Kong Bundy? Oh, I've got her. Yeah. She goes, all right, that's what you're going to audition for. Now, again, I'm going down the list of ticks and crosses. Bald head, tick, clean shaven, cross, fat, cross. Um, thinking, wow, I'm hoping they're going to have a fat suit for this one. <laughs> so one-liner again, uh, you know, the standard Bundy kind of a, you know, give me a five count when he used to pin someone instead of the old three, he wanted the five. So did that one to camera, sent it off, and I thought of that there's no hope of that one whatsoever. I said, you know who I am and what I've done. I need to get in the show. If I'm in this show, then I can't get any other audition. So there's something wrong. So she said, all right, let's uh, see what we can do. And she's come back. She goes, all right, I've got another one for you. It's great. Who is it? It was Sergeant Slaughter. It's great. I said, excellent. All right. Uh, she said to me, you know who he is? I said, oh, do I know who he is? Of course I do. She's all right. There's a few more lines with this character. Here it is. She goes, have fun with it. Ad lib a little. Went down to an army disposal store and I've gone in. I've bought this big camouflage jacket. I bought a camouflage hat. Bought the aviator sunglasses. Bought the whistle on the lanyard. Did the whole nine yards. Got, got everything I could think of that would make me look like him. Mind you, I've got this beard very similar to what I've got now, this big black, you know, pirates-looking beard, but wasn't going to remove that. So I dressed myself up in all the gear, had a few lines, which was good, a bit of dialogue. So I did the dialogue to camera, put Sarge's voice on, screwed around a bit with it, sort of like at the end of the dialogue I pretended to give. Because it's the scene was where we were meeting in the grandmother's apartment to go over the Battle Royal. Right. So you've got other wrestlers around. I didn't know who was around me at the time, but, you know, there was the Sheik, the Samoans, there was Andre, uh, Ricky Steamboat, there was a few others. So I didn't know who exactly was going to be there. So at the end of it, I've, I've ad-libbed a little bit and hung some shit on Piper, I hung some shit on Bundy and just a few other things, just to be a bit funny and so on, not knowing who was going to be there. And then uh, that was it. So we sent it off. Um, and then I hadn't heard anything for a while and I was, I was ringing in and I know Ian was getting pissed off with me because I'm going, is there any words? No! Hang up. Anne's a tough lady, but she's a really, really good lady and like I've got a great relationship with her, but I know <laughs> if she's annoyed with it, she'll just go, no, 
and hang up. And you go, right. <laughs> so she uh, she was getting a little annoyed. But then all of a sudden, it was about it was about eighty something days after I'd auditioned. She came back to me. She says, "You know what?" She goes, "I got some news." I said, "Great. What is it?" She goes, "They love you." I said, "Great, great." I said, what now? She goes, there's one more thing. I said, what? She goes, you're 95% of the way there. I said, okay. I said, well, what's the last 5%? She goes, well, they have to see your jawline and your chin. I'm like, oh, my God. I said, so what does that mean? She goes, you have to shave your beard off. And I've gone, oh, my God. I haven't been clean shaven in close to 25 years. I think I've always wow. had the goatee as I would the maniac or I'd have a, a beard or whatnot. So... I said to my wife, I said, what do I do? She goes, you're crazy, shave it off. She goes, your hair grows that fast on your face anyway, it doesn't matter. So I said, all right. So I've, I've, she's gone to work one day and I've gone up in the bathroom and I'm looking in the mirror and grab the clippers and I start taking my beard off. And I'm looking in the, the, the sink and there's all this black hair. I'm like almost crying. Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> so I take it all off get the moustache just done like Sarge has. And I've got some hair at this time. I don't know why, for some reason, I'd grow on my hair. So it was lucky that I did. Um, and then I had to take a couple of pictures to send them. So I've done one photo. And it looked all right from the side. Like, I've got a decent sort of square jaw. <coughs> Excuse me. And then uh, I thought, how am I going to make my chin so pronounced like his is and so on? So lucky enough, I was able to push my bottom jaw forward in front of my top teeth, so to speak, so I can project it out a bit. And as I've taken the photo and looked at that, I've gone, oh, my God. It just fit perfectly. I had no idea. And, you know, who would have known that under my beard I actually looked like Sergeant Slaughter? So we send those photos off, and I'm not kidding. It was in, like, one or two days. They've come straight back and they said, bang, you've got it. You're going to be cast as Sergeant Slaughter. And I'm like, holy shit, you know. Anne's rang me going, congratulations, congratulations, like on the phone. Like she's normally going, your audition was shit, do it again. But this time she's going, congratulations. And I'm like, holy cow. So uh, got cast as him then, had to wait for a bit for documents, NDAs, the script, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then from there it was, you know, waiting to be shipped up to Queensland to become Sarge. So, okay, I've, I've just got to ask a question because this is – it it this stories like this just don't happen, you know. Like wrestlers who grew up watching other wrestlers don't then get to portray said wrestlers in a show about a wrestler. You know, it's a very unique circumstance. But I, but I want to ask you as a not as a a wrestler or or, or um, even a fan, if you will. Um, but what is that sensation like, knowing that you have grown up watching this image of this guy on television? And it's influenced you to become a fan of that. But just as a person, what is it like to see an image of someone on television as a child to now all these years later be told, hey, uh, you're going to play him now? Like, what, what, go, what happens? What, <laughs> what, what do you do in that, in that moment? It, it took a while to sink in because, you know, Sarge is – such an iconic figure, even now, but especially back in the 80s. You know, he everyone knew Sergeant. He was the Iron Sheik versus Sergeant Slaughter, or Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan versus the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov. You know, it was the America versus Iran and Russia. It was that sort of thing. So yeah, I remember as a kid sitting down in front of the TV on a Saturday having to watch – we used to have the Wide World of Sports on TV. I don't know if you remember that show. It, was, it went like all day from probably about 10 a.m. till about 4 in the afternoon, and it covered every single bit of the sporting genre that you could think of. They'd show you from badminton to F1 to bowls to cricket to rugby and so on. But you'd get five minutes of pro wrestling within that show every week, but they wouldn't tell you when it was. So you would have to sit there the whole day and wait to find that five minutes. And heaven forbid you'd need to go to the toilet and then the wrestling would come on within that five minutes because you would just spew because you've been sitting there all day watching this other crap that you can't stand and then you miss your five minutes. But every time I used to watch that, it would always be a Sergeant Slaughter match at Madison Square Garden. So um, to then realise that I'm going to play him on camera 
it did start to freak me out a little. I was thinking, Jesus Christ, how am I going to do this? You know, one, I'm Australian, so my American accent has to be on point. Two, he has such a distinctive voice with the raspy tone and the growl of the, the Marine Corps drill sergeant and so on, uh, to remembering to stick my jaw out, to all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, this is this is going to be a bit of an undertaking. But you know what? Once, once you got there and then you started to see some of the other casts, like when you, you saw these people, like it was ironic how much they looked like the character. It was just insane. I mean, so you, you kind of became that character then and there when you're on set. And as it is in the normal pro wrestling world, you get called your wrestling name when you're in the ring, when you're out of the ring, when you're backstage, when you're down the supermarket. If someone knows you, they're like, hey, man, how are you going? So from that minute that I stepped on set, I was Sarge and that was it. So the transformation started there. They did my hair colour. They made my moustache the way it should be, made my hair the right way. Costume made everything fit perfectly. So I had the the black tights, the original Sarge wrestling gear, the, all the black tights. It looked like a, a wetsuit with the white marine belt around it and so on in the, the, the camouflage T-shirt. But what they did is they extended the T-shirt to a long sleeve shirt down to my wrist to cover my tattoos. Because um, essentially they had the suit where it would stop at my elbow like a T-shirt, and then I had skin colour material stitched onto it to go down on my wrist. And it looked disgusting. And I said, you, you, sure, you can't wear that. That's terrible. Um, so they looked, they agreed, and they said no. So they ended up going with the shirt longer down on my wrist, which is just a little thing. It was a bit different to what Sarge used to be like, but I wore a camouflage T-shirt, and they airbrushed all my arms. So you couldn't see any of my tattoos at all. I looked completely clean skin. It was amazing. Um but it took two and a half, three hours to get done. So it took a while sitting there to be airbrushed up to take all the tattoos off. So I guess they were worried too that when I did all the wrestling scenes, because it gets so hot, they were worried the makeup might wear off. And, you know, because every time we did a scene, you know, the makeup ladies were straight on you and within seconds with a fan and touching you up and making sure you look right again. So I think it was a, a wise choice. But playing the role has just been crazy from the fact that I've actually got to meet and speak to Sarge himself uh, on a podcast where we could see each other. We've emailed each other multiple, multiple times and chatted about things, chatted about the show. He's given me my blessing and thanked me for the way that I portrayed him. He said, it's amazing. I've met his daughter, Kelly. That's how it essentially happened was his daughter, Kelly, got in touch with me on Instagram and said, thank you so much for playing my dad. You did an amazing job. Um, even his granddaughter, when she saw you on TV, thought you were Sarge. Because oh. oh. the, the granddaughter apparently, when I come on screen, Kelly's gone, who's that? And she's gone, that's grandpa. And, you know, for the granddaughter to think I was a grandpa, you know, that let alone Sarge saying you've done a fantastic job was just huge. So, um, you know, I've had quite a few chats with Sarge and so on, and he's been very gracious and thank me for playing him the right way. He made a joke at one stage on where they were talking to him on a live signature thing. He goes, yeah, I've met and spoke to Wayne. He's a he's a great lad and so on. He's got all these lumps and bumps on him that I sort of don't have, but, you know, it's made me look really good. So it was really nice. He's such a nice, nice man, and him and Kelly are both great. So they've been really supportive of what I've done, which is, again, mind-blowing to think that when I was a kid watching Wide World of Sports, I'm sitting there a kid that's, you know, 11 from Australia watching five minutes of wrestling that he loves of this guy that in turn later down the track becomes him in a TV show and then gets to talk to him and his daughter and essentially become friends with both of them. It's it's nuts. But, uh, man, you speak about good things. Uh, to, to segue right here, this whole experience for me, this close to – near four hour experience that I have, um, has been nothing but a good time, nothing but a good thing. Um, but I got to start with the wrap up segments. So this is, this next segment's called a deep dive and don't worry about it. I'm not going to go on social media and, and look up some strange and wonderful photos and, uh, <laughs> sh show you a, a blackhead. I'm sure I've deleted them all. <laughs> show you a blackhead, yellow striped young version of the Wayne I'm not going to, not going to do that. <laughs> 
But I'm going to ask you some unique questions that only you yourself can give your own unique perspective on. Wonderful. First question, who are your personal heroes? If you have any, why do you hold them in such high regard? Wow. My mom. Yeah. Absolutely, my mother. She was my angel. She still is my angel now. She passed away. Um, she, she's my number one, definitely. I mean, I can go through and say, you know, I was a big fan of Arnie, Sylvester Stallone. And having gotten to meet Arnie was a massive thing in my life. Never met Stallone yet. Mm -hmm. um, and even Van Damme, getting to meet and look after him, you know, so he's one of my growing up heroes as well. But, uh, yeah, mum, first and foremost, before anyone else. Perfect answer. What would you be doing if you weren't in your current field? Jesus. Um... No, no, you done Jesus. You fought Jesus, man. Asked Jesus, didn't I? <laughs> I think you're one of the only people in my life, man, that I can turn around and say, I've got a friend, Wayne. Yeah, what's he famous for? Fighting Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what would I be doing? God, I, I, I don't know. I've done this ever since I was 18. You know, I was in the arcade and then I transferred into this. Um, I, I tried out for the police force when I was younger, but because I had a bad knee, um, they wouldn't pass me through the medical. So maybe maybe a, a copper or, or a, a prison officer. I was always inclined with, to be in something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe those two. So big fan of pr protecting people and protection, doing the right thing. Oh, yeah, it's, it's something I think that was bred into me. You know, obviously protected my mother more than anyone to start with and then obviously friends family, my own family, anyone that's close to me like that knows that they can rely on me. If they're in trouble or they need help, they'll get it from me straight away. I feel protected already. <laughs> Man, now that I have that uh, that number and uh, that contact, trust me, uh, not that I'll come knocking, but hey, if anything goes sour, trust me, I will, I'll feel safe. My number's the emergency break glass. <laughs> oh, oh, good. <laughs> I'll, I'm a, I'll try my best not to break it on uh, when, I, when I'm bored. Um, what was a turning point in your life? How did it affect you? And if it was negative, how did you overcome it? Uh, I think the fight that I had for my youngest son mm. was a massive turning point because I went from somebody who had everything, successful business, marriage, family and all that, to then having a, basically the, the carpet pulled out from under me, so to speak. Uh, and then having to move state, shift completely to be able to chase them, to be able to be a part of my son's life. And then for four and a half years, the battles I went through, um, you know, I was taken to court to, to try and put a domestic violence order on me when I had done nothing but the court was presented with wrestling photos of me looking extremely demonic. Oh, great. Yeah. And told this is him he is a monster he does this he does that and obviously when i presented in court i was in a suit a tie certainly no makeup or anything to do with wrestling and i remember to this day the judge looking at the photo then he looks up at me and then he looks back down at the photo and then he looks up again and he turns around and he goes mr maddie and i said yes your honor he said is this you i said yes it is i said when i'm in character and he's looked at me and I said, I was, I'm a professional wrestler. I said, that's my character, whether I'm in live in front of a, an audience or on TV. He's turned back around and he's looked at my ex-wife and he's just shook his head and put his head down. So, you know, those sorts of things I had to endure for four and a half years, you know. So yeah. he, just, he just didn't understand it? No, no. He Well, he couldn't understand why somebody would present that photo to try and discredit me by saying, you know, this is what he looks like. I don't walk around every day in a leather vest with a big chain around my neck with white contact lenses in. <laughs> so that was a really tough time for me for four and a half years. It was a really, really hard battle. I lived in my car for, you know, a, a period of time with just clothes because I had nowhere to go, no job. Up in Queensland, just spiralling about how I'm going to be able to try and, you know, see my boy. So it was a tough time. But... Like we uh, like we've touched on during this podcast, it came came to a sunshine, came to a good ending. Well, Beatty's now with me, a hundred percent custody. Yeah. yeah. Um, but hey, I mean, you bring it up in the court case. They they showed character photos. People out there, you know, as an actor and as a, and as a performer in 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 the wrestling sense, 
do you have uh, like a ritual or a pre-show vibe or a switch that gets you from being regular Wayne to being the maniac? Some guys have the jacket. Maybe it's the chain. Maybe it's hearing their music. Do you have a switch for you to go from regular to performer? Yeah, look, it's um, if you've ever seen me come to the ring before, I wear a, a motorcycle skeleton neoprene mask. Mm-hmm. It's really scary. As soon as I put that mask on, that's it. And I, like, all the boys, like especially when I work with uh, Coyote and all that, it's funny, I remember one time backstage, we're getting ready to go out, I've popped the mask on, and somebody that was on the show has come up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and gone to ask me something, and Josh has just put his hand on him and pushed him away, and he goes, don't. And he looks at Josh and he goes, what are you talking about? He said, he's, he's in character now. Mm. And he said, and... Plus, with that mask on, one, he can hardly breathe. Two, he can't fucking talk with that mask on. He said, so basically, go away because he's yeah. about to go through the curtain. So it's literally, and Josh knew that. As soon as my mask went on, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, we, we've gone through your story here. Um, without question, you know, you're a successful uh, businessman, professional. But how do you define success? Being able to go home and be happy and not worry. Yeah. That's the best way, absolutely. I mean, I used to be successful with my first company, but I'd go home and I'd stress. You know, I wouldn't be able to sleep. I'd be worried about how do you do this, how do you do that, how are you going to pay this, pay that, and so on. It was extremely stressful. Now I know that we're successful in what we do because I can go home and I shut off and I enjoy myself at home. Mm. I don't have to worry. It's perfect. If you could go back in time now to your first day let's say doing the club work, your first time doing the protection and your very first time getting in that ring, what what advice could you give to yourself starting out in those three fields? Let's say the first time in the club, I would have said just try to relax and don't be nervous, even though it's extremely hard not to. Mm. Um, Especially with 1,100 people there on day one. 1,100 people in that room, that's right. I mean, look, throughout the entire venue or the hotel itself, because it was massive, we had 33 security and we had massive amounts of backup. So, you know, if I could just remind myself to say, you know, there are 32 other guys there that will have your back. Be cool, take it easy, take it in, learn as much as you can um, and just enjoy it. And I think I did pretty much most of that. The only thing was obviously the nerves was a hard one to deal with. But, you know, once you get your feet wet, it's, it's easy after that. So I think that would be that for the club work. For what was the other two for the wrestling? One for the wrestling, and then one when the I guess the first day doing bodyguarding. Yeah, for the wrestling, uh, for the wrestling, I probably would have told myself to maybe not be so confident at the start, sit back and just take it easy. I reckon I might have been a little bit too. No, I've got this. Not arrogance-wise, but I think because I felt that I could do it. I sort of was like, yeah, no, no, it's all good, it's all good. I think if I was able to taper that back a little bit, maybe that would have made it a bit easier for me. But you know what? It is what it is. I got to where I am by being who I was back then. So, you know, it couldn't have been that bad, to be honest. Um, if anything, I would have told myself to hook the top rope with my arm a little less tighter the day that Cracker Jack and Pitbull clotheslined me over the top rope and I did the full 360 cane thing because that's what ripped one of my pecs. So, so. <laughs> Tell myself not to do that again, I would. <laughs> uh, and, and for the bodyguarding man, day one. Um, yeah, well, that was, what was that, Elmer Ferson? So that, in um, itself. All right, maybe day two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, look, I think I've done pretty well in that aspect that uh, clearly I'm still doing it now and the names of the people that I look after. You know, I've never once approached a client and said, do you mind if I have a photo with you? Not once have I ever said that mm. to this day, and I still won't. What I managed to do is I know that the people that are looking after a high profile. I know that there's paparazzi and there's media that are after them the whole time. Mm. Obviously, I am doing my job. My job consists of being right next to, right behind, or right in front of that person to protect them from anything that comes along. So I'm guaranteed to be in a photo somewhere in the media. Yep. which we then can take from the media because it's public forum and use that for marketing for our business. So I don't think that I need to have to ask them for a photo or definitely not an autograph or nothing, you know. 
at the end of the day, some of them I'm privy enough to have their phone numbers, which I still have due to the fact of us working so close together. If they're in the van somewhere, or they're in the van in the back seat and I'm in the front seat, and they want to tell me something that they want to do, but they don't want everyone else to know about it, they'll shoot me a text. They'll just say, Wayne, when we get up to my room, do you want to go train or something like that? So I get those sort of connections with them. And then sometimes we do become friends. You know, a lot of the WWE boys are my mates and I hear from them all the time. So, um, yeah, I don't think that, uh, I don't know if there's too much that I'd really change from where I started with that. I think I'm pretty happy with how that's gone. Yeah. All right, this is the part of the podcast now, which I like to call the Lipton Six. This is in tribute of James Lipton, who sadly we lost March 2020. He was an American writer, lyricist, actor, and the dean of the Actors Studio Drama School at Pace University in New York City, where he hosted and ran his TV show Inside the Actors Studio from 1994 to 2018. So in honor and tribute of him, I'm going to ask you, his famous six questions that he would ask all his guests before wrapping up his interview. So first off, Wayne, what is your favorite word? I don't know if I can say that on air. Um, if it's anything to do with my youngest son, my favorite word is yes, because I'm a pushover, especially <laughs> for him. Oh, I thought it was going to be Fortnite. <laughs> Well, it's normally it's relating to that. So it's, Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I have that? You know, whether it's a a, a, a gift card or something to do with Fortnite, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's yes. Um, what turns you on? Now, it could be in the way that you're thinking or it can be in the way that you go, all right, this is going to be a new experience, this is going to be a new life, something gets you energized, something that gets you fired up. So two ways to answer that question. Hmm. L McPherson does not count as a. <laughs> 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 I mean, you can say it, hell, you can say it if you want, but. Oh, yeah, look, um, the thought of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, I think, is something that does really excite me because you never know what's going to happen around the corner, whether it's good or bad or whatnot, or if you know that something is coming, the, the process of looking forward to that to me is really exciting, especially if I get, you know, a. Uh, an email or something about an upcoming job, especially with a big A-list celebrity or whatnot like that. But I don't even know who it is yet. And then they say, do you want the job? And I go, of course I want the job. And they go, do you want to know who it is? I said, well, you, you tell me in time who it is. I don't, I don't need to know straight away. So that is pretty exciting. It's sort of an adrenaline rush. The adrenaline rush of even just looking after someone in that job, in that role, is a massive rush because at the end of the day, wherever you are, that person has their life in my hands, mm. literally. And th th that means, that, and it's not just that, you know, people see you as a glorified security guard walking around with them. At the end of the day, if somebody is to go ahead and approach them and attack them with their fist, with a gun, with a knife, with a bomb, with anything like that, the person that has to get in between the celebrity and the attacker is me. Mm. It's the bottom line. So at the end of the day, the, the, the rush of that job I mean, I've, I've been in all places in Asia where I've had to stipulate that when we do a public appearance inside a shopping mall or something or other like that, that there will be no backpacks brought up onto the stage when they come to meet this person. Because at the end of the day, and, and I've said this before in, I think, uh, Ryback's uh, podcast, backpacks are the things that scare me more than anything else. At the end of the day, they can step up, they've got the backpack on their back, they walk up, they want to get something signed, they put their backpack next to the table, they pose for the picture, and then they walk off and they leave the backpack. Yeah. And heaven forbid what happens with that backpack. Mm. So they, they, the whole job itself is kind of a turn on in a rush because of that fact that, you know, at the end of the day, as much as I hate to say it, it's you're going out there to do a job and you don't know if you're going to come back. What sound or noise do you love? What sound or noise do I love? Yep. The dinging of my bank account notification. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, you're dealing with Hollywood A-listers, right? <laughs> uh, all right. Here's a fun one. What's your favorite curse word? Oh. Get ready. He's going to swear. <laughs> look, if I can say them on here, I'll say them. If you want to beat them, you can beat them. Uh, look, the C word falls out of my mouth. All the time, mm -hmm. even in general conversation. The F word is another one. Yep. Um, 
it's just, I think the fact of being obviously at 18 years of age and starting in a nightclub bouncing with guys that are older than you mm. in mm. that environment, those words become common language. They're not even a swear word, you know? You'd walk in there and the boys were like, oh, hey, hey, C, how you doing? You're like, whoa, hold yeah. on. And you're like, no, man, it's all good. Don't worry, it's all good. And you think, yeah, all right. And then it just becomes common language, uh, except for when I ever spoke to my mother. I would never, never swear. And then I would never swear around my youngest son until now he's nine and things fall out, especially when I'm driving the car. And uh, <laughs> yeah. His little ass off in the back seat when I do. So, and they go, you, don't, you, don't you say that? He's like, no, Dad, I won't. I promise. Gonna monitor those video gaming headsets, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. I always say, well, who are you talking to? So and so, righto. You know, make sure I know who it is that he's talking to. So, <laughs> tell him I called him a c-word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty lucky. He's known at his school as the uh, the kid with the big scary dad. So I think he's all right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? But I know you said that you were maybe doing something in um, the police field. But if someone came to you today and said, all right, I'm going to take you out of bodyguarding, take you out of security and plant you in something that you could immediately start and pick up like that, what would you have liked to do? Bounty hunting. Yeah? Yep. Absolutely. So I always said if that was ever illegal in Australia, I'd be the first person at the door to sign up. The paperwork, man. There'd be uh, there'd be a lot of contracts being fulfilled. Seeing you coming up, man, I think a lot of people would just gladly take the L. There'd be no running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I've always been a big fan of Dog the Bounty Hunter, and I've watched a couple of other different shows in relation to that industry as well that have been on A and E or whatever. And yeah, it 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 appeals to me. I like it. It's looks like an intense job, man. But if there's anyone that's going to handle it, it's definitely you yourself, man. Now. Sort of touching back here onto the, the movie experience you had with the prosthetic horns, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Not welcome. <laughs> I played Satan and beat him up, for Christ's sake. I'm sure he's not <laughs> going to let me in. No, look, yeah. I don't know. Um, come here, mum's waiting for you. Awesome, man. Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that was good. That that hit me hearing that. That's cool. Um, you can hang up the hang up the security number badge. <laughs> just be just just relax. Yeah. All right, man. This is the final four. This is the last four questions I do before I hit that pedal, slam on that nitrous Vin Diesel style, and we drive off into the sunset until we see each other again. So, first of the final four. Was there ever a point in your life where you thought, hey, you know what? I don't know about this. This this might not be for me. And if so, what was it? Yeah, I think, look, I was working at uh, a Westfield shopping centre. We had an incident where we were going to a, a problem and I slipped on the wet terrazzo outside and it blew one of my knees out. And I had to have uh, a knee reconstruction. The surgery was screwed up. They, they did something happen, you know, it didn't go the way it was supposed to. So then I had to have a second uh, surgery again on it. And it took me about eight months to be able to recover fully from it. I started off not being able to walk at all because they had to go into my other knee to get bits and pieces. Then I went to a wheelchair, I went to a walking frame, I went to crutches, a walking stick, and then finally gradually being able to walk again. And I was, petrified that one, I couldn't train anymore because I wouldn't be able to get my legs to be able to take the weight on the leg press because I was frightened they would snap again. Um, and also the confidence of being able to do security work anymore because when I was learning to walk and so on like that, I had damaged nerves in my back, which meant my hips and my legs were not in the right place when I was walking. So I kind of figured that everything after that fact was completely done and it was all over. So. Definitely that. Have you ever stopped and thought, man, and given that, you know, the, the three fields of work that, that you have done throughout your life thus far, I'm sure there would have been times, and if you could elaborate confidentiality notwithstanding here, have you ever stopped and thought, man, how the hell did I get here? Yeah. Uh, probably 
the day that I was in the lift with John Travolta and he put his arm around me and his head on my shoulder. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, I'd watched him as a kid in Greece. Mm. Every other movie that he did after that fact, you know, he was he was one of my favourites without him being the big over-the-top action star, obviously Arnie Stallone and Van Damme were the top three. Mm-hmm. But he put out quality films continuously and still does to this day. But I can still remember sitting there watching Grease on a beta video recorder where you push the tape in, you push the lid down, and there's this big thing that you plunge it type thing you push down for the video to play. Mm. And it was Grease because when I was a kid growing up, I used to sit there and watch musicals that mum and dad would record. There'd be Grease, there'd be Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Oliver Twist. There'd be all sorts of films like that, but Grease was obviously one of my favourites. So to think that, that that guy that I was sitting there watching on TV when I was a kid is now here resting his shoulder on my head telling me how tired he is, that's the point of when you go, how the hell did I get here? Yeah, that's... Uh... So that's one elevator ride, man, you'll never forget, right? <laughs> that's it. At this age, looking back on everything you've done now, from the first days of the arcade all the way up until now, take yourself back to that point, being that young kid and thinking, at the age you are now, man, you know, I, did you ever have thoughts of you being at this age? And do you did you ever think that at this age you're at now, this is where you'd be? No, because back then in the arcade as well, I really had no clear direction mm. on what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be. I never thought that at back then, at 46 years of age, where are you going to be? Mm. I had no clue, none whatsoever. You know, I even then I didn't aspire to be a wrestler and hope that I'd be in the WWE or, or some big company name like that. Mm. Was I thinking about the bodyguard work or even, even acting for that fact at all? Mm. There's nothing. So to be honest, I don't even think that I would have tried to look that far ahead in the future back then. I think I was just happy in my own space where I was and what I was doing and felt like there was no reason to change that. So I would just continue until that point in time where the guys in the gym spoke to me about getting my security license. So that's probably the best thing I'd I'd ever done was to get my security license and get into that industry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's probably clearly the point of where my life changed was that. Currently, as we sit here, last of the final four, we've gone through your journey. We've gone through our similar shared experiences, both acting and wrestling. But currently, as you sit there right now, what is your proudest moment or achievement? Having two beautiful boys. That's probably, to be able to say that and have them and know that all of all of the wrestling and everything that I've done, I basically have done for them to be able to leave something for them to, you know, as they grow up. They can say, you know, my dad was, my dad did. You know, I've got all of my title belts framed in box frames that, you know, will hopefully one day be theirs. So, yeah, I think that's 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 probably it. Yeah. Hey, man, perfect answer. If you had said getting my first security or kicking one dude out the first time in the club, I'd be like, oh, I think you, I think you've, uh, I think you're missing <laughs> something. Let me ask that question a different way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we spent through the journey, man. For anyone else that's out there listening to this episode right now and they want to find out a little bit more about Wayne, hey, <laughs> we got through a lot here, but if you want to find out a bit more about Wayne, you can follow Wayne on Instagram at Wayne underscore Maddie. That's M-A-T-T-E-I. Hey, it's in the episode description. Play along. Uh, there's also WayneMaddie.com. We can go on there and learn all about his history, both as a guard, as a trainer as a wrestler and of course as an actor but hey as an absolute easter egg to this episode wayne has also launched maddie motion pictures or one word also available to follow on instagram there is also a facebook fan page wayne the maniac you can follow him on all social media and follow him on the internet if you want to see a bit more footage of wayne hell you don't have to look too far put put his name into youtube put his name into google i'm sure you'll find a video or two but hey, I just want to say I thank you so much for being so open and just being so receptive to coming aboard and doing this. Um, it's, you know, we the times that, you know, we were in the same business but didn't get to share live events together, uh, I, I still kick myself over. Um, but it's it's been such a thrill and it's so awesome to meet someone who has quite literally done so much in the amount of time that they've done. Uh, you're an absolute professional uh, I'm 
truly honored and humbled to be considered a friend. Considered a friend and <laughs> <laughs> I crossed my fingers, that's why he's laughing. It sounded really mean. <laughs> it sounded really mean. Let's be friends. <laughs> um but yeah, honestly, from from the heart of hearts, thank you so much um, for everything that you've done and for coming aboard here today and just sharing your tale, man. I really do appreciate it. No, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, mate. I've enjoyed it very much. And that'll be it. That wraps up the episodes with Wayne, the Maniac Matty. I want to thank Wayne so much for coming aboard, sharing his journey with me, and of course, yourselves listening. And I want to thank you for keen to tune in at the LMBC podcast and being a listener. I really do appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, please... Follow Little Man Big Conversations on social media at LMBC Podcast, Facebook and Instagram, and at LMBC underscore podcast on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining in, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>